Welcome to Future of Freedom. I'm your host, Scott Bertram. Future of Freedom is a production of America's Talking Network. You can check out all of our great podcasts at americastalking.com. To support great podcasts like this one, please donate by clicking the link in the show description. We bring you interviews today from different sides of the debate over federal paid parental and medical leave. In a little bit, we'll be joined by Rachel Gresler, Senior Research Fellow at the Heritage Foundation. First, we talk with Aparna Mather, Senior Manager of Economics at Amazon, also former resident scholar at the American Enterprise Institute and Senior Fellow at Harvard's Kennedy School. Aparna, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Discussing today the idea of federal paid parental leave, essentially guaranteed a paid time off for new moms, new dads. I want to give the opportunity as we start to sort of describe the current situation, the current climate, and what some of these proposals would enact. So it's a great question, Scott. And and if it's okay, I would like to go back in time a little. When I first started working on paid family and medical leave, uh, I was I was directing, co-directing the AI Brookings Paid Family and Medical Leave Working Group with Isabel Sawhill and Brookings. And the reason the working group began was because you know, then as now, there was a big political divide between Democrats and Republicans and liberals and conservatives, essentially, on how we come forward with a a proposal for a federal paid family and medical leave program. Now, what we have in the U.S. since 1993 is the Family uh, and Medical, Family Medical and Leave Act that allows families to take about 12 weeks of job protected but unpaid leave when they have a caregiving need at home or if they are experiencing, you know, if um, a new mom is having a baby, you know, they're allowed that 12 weeks. The issue is that since that's unpaid, what we find in the data and what we find um, through research is that a lot of people who are truly vulnerable, you know, who are poor, who don't have the ability or the, you know, the financial support to take that time off, uh, you know, actually end up not being able to take that time off and end up returning to work, you know, faster than they than they need to. You know, the, uh, they usually will not take even, you know, half of that 12 weeks uh, that they're entitled to. And so that's part of the reason why I got, you know, interested in saying, look, we need to do more than than what currently exists in the system, because even though there's this uh, idea that, look, paid family and medical leave is somehow a middle class entitlement, the reality is that, you know, a lot of people who would benefit from the program are not currently able to take it up. And, you know, you know, this is really something that we need to do as a society if we, you know, if we really uh, care about economic opportunity and improving outcomes for families in need. To me, there's been, you know, for me, there's been a ton of progress. I see, you know, Republicans coming out with paid leave proposals. And yes, uh, there isn't a lot of agreement between Democrats and Republicans about things like, you know, should this be restricted to paid parental leave or do we actually need to cover everything that the FMLA covers, which is Mm -hmm. parental leave, medical leave and uh, caregiving leave for, you know, if you have... um, uh, let's say elderly parents, and you need to take time off. So there are differences there, and those differences persist even today. I think the second big difference is on, uh, you know, how do we fund it? And you know, there have been proposals again from Republicans that talk about, well, why don't we use existing financing? 
you know, that that existing uh, programs that already exist. So let's pull forward, you know, social security money, or if we can re reuse like the existing tax credits, like the earned income tax credit and the child tax credit to fund some form of paid leave. I know Senator Cassidy is talking about that. Um, you, you know, that's on the Republican side. I think on the Democrat side, you know, they want they are fine with let's do a new payroll tax. Uh, you know, let's impose a new payroll tax and that will fund the new program. To me, I feel like there's been a ton of progress. I know we um, focus a lot on the differences, but going back to the time when I started doing this work, I feel like we've come a long way. Let me begin by asking this, which is where where, where is the problem? Why do we see a problem why has the market not reacted? Because there are some private private companies can do this if they wish to. So is yeah. there a market failure here in not addressing uh, the needs, wants, and desires of employees across the country? I think the reality is, Scott, that if you look at, uh, you know, where the biggest problems are, it's not typically amongst the larger employers. So I do think that if you look at larger employers, you know, including Amazon, where I am, or, uh, you know, other other big companies, there there is a tendency, there, there are policies on the books that will allow uh, employees to take time off when they have a child or if they have, uh, you know, a medical need and so on. When we were researching the issue, I think the bigger problem was, you know, how do we help smaller businesses provide these policies more, where a large chunk of, uh, you know, workers who are at the lower end of the wage spe spectrum are actually, you know, employed. You know, it's, it's tricky because on the one hand, you don't want a mandate that says, you know, every small business now has to provide 12 weeks of paid leave. You know, we, so we spoke with a lot of small businesses who said, look, that's just not possible. We have, you know, six employees. And if one is out for three months, you know, we have to either hire a new person, which is costly, or we have to impose, you know, new responsibilities on the existing workforce, which is also not a great thing to do. But, you know, but that doesn't mean that we don't have informal ways of providing, allowing employees to take time off. You know, we don't mm -hmm. force them to, to be in the workplace. So I think the, the challenge is how do we make it easier for businesses? to offer paid leave without it becoming a huge and costly burden. And I think one, one mechanism that the AI Brookings Group came up with was to, uh, you know, impose a small payroll tax on employees, uh, you know, so, so that the business itself is not, you know, facing the brunt of if, if an employee takes leave, I'm still, you know, I still have to pay them, uh, you know, their full salary. And I think through small payroll tax contributions and, you know, other programs, I'm seeing a lot more discussion around, you know, pooling of benefits across small businesses and so on. I think we just need to figure out what's the right mechanism to make this happen. I think it's great to see, you know, the momentum that's building up at states. So some states like Vermont and Virginia and New Hampshire are trying out, you know, other uh, ways of providing voluntary paid leave or working through private, in, you know, insurers to, to make it happen. Uh, I think at the end of the, the day, it's a cost issue. And, you know, we really need to just figure out, well, how do we sort of socialize the costs of this program across um, you know, millions of people so that no no one person is actually bearing the brunt of the cost or no one business is bearing the brunt of the cost when, mm -hmm. you know, someone needs that time off. If there is the entry of the government in some way, shape or form here, perhaps a question that we should address is, 
do these policies, parental leave or medical leave, do they benefit just the employee or is there a greater societal effect or benefit that would entice the government to get involved? That's a great question. And that's partly why I, you know, started researching this policy. Uh, you know, I'm really interested in improving economic opportunity. And one of the biggest obstacles I think that we see when we talk about, you know, even amongst conservatives, right? People care about families and people care about, uh, you know, work. And I think paid leave is one of those policies where, you know, you could do both. The fact that you have paid leave will allow families to be more integrated in the workforce. You know, you will not see women dropping out because, you know, now they have a child and the employer doesn't allow them to take that time off. And, you know, the reality today is that in most families, most working families, you know, both parents are employed. So having policies on the books that allow for that engagement with the workforce to continue, I think is beneficial in the long run for us as a society, as a country. You know, we, we, want, uh, we want a thriving um, workforce that's able to provide for their, for their families. And those initial investments of time and money in, in their own uh, you know, in their own health and in the health of their children is critical for us as a society. So I th see this as, you know, not just, oh, this is an issue that affects women and, you know, few women in the workforce. I think it's actually a broader sort of national uh, economic issue that deals with so many of the other challenges, you know, that we're seeing across the country today, like workforce, labor force participation and, you know, wages and, um you know, the kinds of things that allow families to thrive. So so it is a larger economic conversation um, from my perspective. In studies that you've seen, and perhaps in real world evidence from other countries that have similar policies, do you find that there are adverse outcomes for women who perhaps would be taking more, taking advantage or using it more often in a, in a parental situation? Does it harm their ability to advance inside a job? Does it somehow harm their ability to even land a job in some quarters? What does what the, the evidence say? It is true. I think that when we surveyed as part of the AI Brookings Group, I think when we surveyed the evidence on what's happening across the globe, you know, there are many European countries that offer, you know, much longer periods of time, time off. I think it could even go for, from a year to two years. Uh, you know, in thinking about how that would impact women's careers, like I, I do worry. I do worry that if you're out of the workforce for that long, you know, what does that mean for your career growth? Mm -hmm. What does that mean for your ability to, you know, advance in, in your profession and to, you know, be taken as a serious, um, uh, you know, employee? But, you know, if, if we go purely by the evidence, I think, you know, research would say, well, even six months of, you know, paid leave might be okay because it's not actually shown to deter employment. It's not actually shown to, uh, you know, really hit women's careers. But I think when we were doing, you know, when we were researching this for ourselves, I think we came up with something like, you know, about eight to 12 weeks would be okay for women to say, or, or for dads to, you know, to be able to take that time off, uh, because that retains your attachment to the workforce. I think one of the reasons we advocate for this policy is not so that, you know, this is sort of a gap in your, in your resume. It's really about the ability to take that time off when you need to, but then come back to the workforce, you know, when you're ready, when you've provided for your family, when you've taken that time off for your health. 
So I do think that there's a challenge. I do think that we, you know, we should not be advocating for very long leaves that mm-hmm. essentially push, you know, people out of the workforce. But you also have to maintain that right balance where we don't want women and especially new moms, you know, rushing back to work just because they didn't have, you know, more than a week off or didn't, you know, couldn't take more than two weeks off after having a child. So it, it it's a good question. I, I think we're still figuring out what's the optimal, um, uh, you, you know, length of time that, mm-hmm. that works. But I think in the U.S. context, about eight to 12 weeks, which is what the FMLA essentially does. Uh, so, so knowing that history, I think, you know, we, we would be comfortable uh, doing something like that. I do want to ask specifically, I think you allude to this a bit in that answer, but does, does the research show, do we believe that the, the longer that someone is away, whether it be a parent or someone out for medical leave, that it is less likely they return, that they find out they like being at home or they like spending time with their six-month-old or, or three-month-old? Is the, the longer time period away, if allowed, does it lead to people drifting away and eventually dropping from the workforce? I'm not sure that we have evidence to that. I'm not. I think what we do know is that women in the U.S., you know, for instance, are much more likely to advance to the top of the corporate ladder as opposed to, you know, women in a lot of these countries that tend to have, um, you know, more lenient and flexible systems or longer lengths of leaves. Um, but when it comes to labor force participation, I think the U.S. is the one where we see women, you know, lagging. I mean, we have uh, academic research that shows that uh, paid leave policies and the lack of affordable childcare, you know, could be playing a role in driving women out of the workforce in the U.S. at much higher rates than in other OECD countries. So that's what we know. And I think, uh, you know, that could be that's likely a function of the fact that we don't have you know good policies on the books and not really you know in the US we've never had really long leaves um uh, and and in Europe the evidence doesn't suggest that women sort of drop out just because they have the longer leaves you know they do remain attached to the workforce now there is a question you know do they rise up quickly you know what does that mean for their you know career growth and, and so on I, I don't think we have great um you know, evidence there. But given, you know, the evidence in the U.S., I would say, you know, we're better off doing something that's, uh, you know, more than the current system uh, rather than worrying too much about, you know, will we will a one year length of leave actually push people out? Because, you know, I don't think we can make that uh, judgment just yet, given where we are with the current state uh, of paid leave policies in the U.S., you mentioned earlier in our conversation about the various ways to perhaps pay for a policy like federal paid parental leave or medical leave. I know there's been ideas about perhaps taking money in advance out of uh, the promised social security down the road. You mentioned business mm-hmm. pay. Government. Is there a preferred way or a preferred method that you found to make this make sense and be perhaps most palatable both to individuals and to businesses across the country? So I think there is a divergence here, like personally, you know, and going by what we recommended as part of the AI Brookings Working Group, you know, I'm comfortable with a small increase in in the payroll tax that would allow people to take, you know, some weeks off uh, when they become new parents. Um, If you look at what I have also written about before is that in the U.S., we already have a few tax credit programs like the Earn Income Tax Credit 
the child tax credit, the child independent care tax credit. You know, all of these programs are really geared towards helping families with children. And so if we don't want a new tax, you know, the other alternative could be that you figure out okay, you know, a family is entitled to so many dollars in the earned income tax credit and the child tax credit and the child independent care tax credit at the end of the year. Is there some way that we can provide them, you know, pull forward that cash to the time when they need it, when they have a newborn, when they have, uh, you know, financial needs? Is there a way for us to get them that support, you know, in a timely fashion? And there have been proposals to, we saw during the uh, the pan- pandemic when the child tax credit, you know, was being provided monthly to families that maybe there are ways that we could just, you know, provide an advance payment to families through these existing tax credits that gets them through that initial hump of, oh, now I have, you know, now I have a new person in my family that I need to take care of. And so my, you know, financial needs have gone up. What I like about what's happening at the state level is that there are many, many different program, uh, state level programs that are trying new and different ways to offer paid leave, right? Like working with private insurers, you know, allowing, um, uh, I think Senator Fisher had the employer tax credits, you know, so that employers are not completely paying for paid leave that their employees may take up, uh, but it's a voluntary program that employers can opt into. So it subsidizes some of the paid leave that, you know, employers uh, are willing to provide you know, other states are doing payroll tax increases and hikes. And I think this is a great time for us to say, well, let's look at, you know, which of these programs is really working, right? Like, let's not go by ideology or by, you know, our, here's how I would do it. But really, this is, you know, I'm an economist. I want to go by the evidence. I want to study, you know, whether the way different states are doing it is actually working for for their constituents. So let's, you know, use this time to experiment, to learn, to, you know, to get comfortable with, um, you know, here are new and different ways of funding paid leave and and get out of our silos and, and our ways of thinking about, well, this has to be done through payroll tax or this mm-hmm. has to be a mandate, right? So I'm, I'm open to that. A part of author, she is senior manager of economics at Amazon, former resident scholar at the American Enterprise Institute and a senior fellow at Harvard's Kennedy School. Aparna, thanks so much for joining us today on Future of Freedom. Thank you so much for having me. This was a fun conversation, Scott. Now to hear another side of the argument about federal paid parental and medical leave, we talk with Rachel Gresler, Senior Research Fellow at the Heritage Foundation, more at heritage.org. Rachel, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Discussing this idea of paid uh, family or medical leave, Uh, federal paid family or medical leave. I I wanted to ask, first of all, when we look at this from the the private sector, has the market itself been responding to demand? If people want this sort of program, have private employers been providing it more and more recently? Yes, they actually have. It has been one of um, the great gains that workers have made in recent years is a significant increase in paid family leave policies. Over the past six years, um, the percentage of workers who have paid family leave from their employer has shot up 80%. Um, now, it's still the way they measure this says that, you know, still fewer than 30% who actually have this. But when you compare that percentage increase to the six years um, prior to 2018, it only shot up by three percentage points compared to a 12 percentage point increase afterwards. And so 
We've seen this big increase in part because of things like Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that gave employers back more of their earnings. And they said to employees, what is it that you want? And a lot of them said, we want paid family leave. And so this is an example of the market responding to what it is that workers want. And I think that the you know silver lining of the COVID-19 pandemic also has been just an increase in not only paid family leave, but also just flexible workplace environments. The stat that is often cited in this discussion is the United States is the only developed country not having some sort of uh, federal paid parental medical leave time. Uh, that's not always a bad thing. But I do want to ask, is there something particular about our workforce, about our labor force uh, that makes it um, uh, makes it um, rational for us not to do something that other countries are doing? Yes, and I think that that statistic is that we are the only country in the world that has this extensive system of employer-provided paid family leave. And why is that beneficial? Because there's a big difference between a paid family leave policy that comes from the government versus one that comes from employers that are just so much more flexible and accommodating. And even though we haven't seen significant growth until recent years, we're seeing how this plays out. We actually do have a couple states in the United States, actually more than a dozen of them now, that have enacted paid family leave programs. And when you look at the government program versus the employer-provided program, it's just night and day. And those government programs are not working well for people. Let me ask that, which is, is there a, a, a reason, is there an incentive for a government plan that would shift the, the costs from a labor agreement between employer and employee onto, in some way, shape, or form, taxpayers if the government is getting involved in, in, in the funding of this sort of effort? Yes, and so that's how it would happen. You have a tax. It's, it's inevitably on workers one way or another. Um, but if you have a tax at the, at the federal level that comes out of workers' paychecks, or you could say it comes from the employer, but at the end of the day, the economics are that it, that it comes out of workers' paychecks. Um, and so you would have this tax that is mandatory on everybody, um, but not everyone is going to use it. And the reality is that it costs a lot more of workers' wages to have a mandatory federal program than it does to just have some portion of their wages come out to provide for an employer-provided program. Um, and that gets down to the bureaucracy of it. There's a lot of wasted costs on the administration of it. And just the reality of family and medical leave conditions are unique. They're personal. They're not something that can be a one-size-fits-all program like has to happen when you have a government that has to establish rules. And so the reality here is that those government programs don't end up getting down to the people that they're intended to benefit. Rachel Gresler is with us from the Heritage Foundation, heritage.org. If a government program for paid family and medical leave would be enacted, would that have the possibility, could it take away some of the flexibility that people now have under um, the leave that they might take in which they could do some work, they could ease back into the workforce. If it's a government program, is there a possibility that all work would be eliminated or or not allowed under the type of program? Well, I think it's not just a possibility. It's almost guaranteed. Um, and I like to point to Walter Williams, the late economist here. He said the crucial question for any policy is not what are its intentions, but what are its effects? 
And when you look at what happens when you have a government-run program, let's take the District of Columbia where I'm working, for example, you have to establish rules. How are the workers going to get these benefits? Who qualifies? What's the level of benefits? Well, you, as a worker, you're turned to this 54-page handbook that tells you you cannot get a benefit, you can't file a claim for one until you actually have incurred an incident that requires you to take time off from work, um, so you don't have pay because you've already had to take the time off, mm-hmm. and then you submit this paperwork. You might need to go to your doctor to get approvals. You have to notify your employer, and you have to have a prescribed plan ahead of time that says exactly what days you will be gone. Um If you need to change a doctor's appointment or you have a condition that's not just as simple as the birth or adoption of a child, you can't change that unless you go back after the fact and resubmit, and you can't do work while you're on leave. You can only take whole day increments. So talking about, you know, caring for aging parents, that might mean all you need is to be able to work remotely, or maybe you just need to leave work two hours early. Mm -hmm. That's not an option under the government program. It's all or nothing. And so the reality is, is it doesn't work out for a lot of the leaves that workers need to take. I think we often think about paid family leave as just the birth or adoption of a child. That's only one in four leaves that workers take. The majority of the leaves they take are for their own medical condition. And those are often unplanned things. And then there's also about a quarter of them that are for caring for other family members. Uh, on the other side of the equation, on the business end, is there the possibility for businesses to misuse or abuse a federal paid family leave program like this? There's absolutely the possibility that the businesses that will benefit from a federal program will be those that are already providing paid family leave. We've heard testimony from big companies like Deloitte saying when they're operating in states that have programs, They simply shift the cost. They tell their workers, yes, we were providing these benefits, but you've got to go to the state first, Uh and we're going to use those taxpayer dollars, and then we might top you up on top of that. So definitely the big businesses that already provide it are going to benefit. I think, um, you know, more where there's going to be manipulation is going to be down at the worker level. When it becomes an entitlement, you see the tendency, even with something like Family and Medical Leave Act that just provides unpaid leave, There's actually widespread misuse and abuse of that because workers can get certified, say they have a condition, and just use that as kind of a a time off without consequence whenever they want it. And if you attach pay to that as well, I think you're going to see even more extensive misuse and abuse. And the reality is it just is going to make it a lot harder for businesses, especially the smaller ones, to be able to run their operations Um, One of the impediments to paid family leave is not just the cost, it's just being able to keep your business going, to be able to service your customers and produce the goods and services you provide. That's probably as big of an impediment as the actual dollars itself. And if you have a federal program and you don't know when are workers going to be able to take time off or not, and as an employer, I can't say no. Um, There's all these rules attached also that are going to assume that if you discipline anyone within a a year after taking leave that you were retaliating against them, and there's a lawsuit. So it's just all these fears that come up about not knowing how the program works, not knowing what you are potentially going to have a liability for that's going to make it really difficult, especially for smaller employers to comply with. Rachel, is there or should there be a societal desire for paid family or medical leave Should we want the ability for parents to say, I want to spend more time with with my new children? 
Uh, I want to spend more time with an ailing parent. I want to spend more time recovering from some sort of medical procedure. Should there be a societal desire to give people that flexibility and perhaps encourage uh, the family structure in a way? Absolutely. I mean, families are the foundation of society, and it's important that we have a culture of society that supports and acknowledges that important role. Um, the question is just how do we best achieve that? And I think that we have seen the evidence from both programs abroad and from state-based programs is that the intentions do not end up being the outcomes here and that we can achieve that desire of people having access to paid family leave in a flexible and in an accommodating way that actually works well for them and that isn't as disruptive to their business, that can be so much better achieved at the private employer level than at a federal level. Um, and there, there are steps towards getting there um, that don't have to include mandating that all employers provide it or simply having a federal program. There are a lot of things along the way that we can do to help encourage better coverage. What do we know about the way these policies affect women in the workforce? Do they, do they encourage women to stay connected, stay involved with their jobs? Do they keep them in the workforce? Um, or, or is the opposite true? What, what do we know? Yes, it would seem that they would, you know, help encourage that connection. And, and oddly, the studies that have been done on this have shown that they've actually led to reduced employment for women. Um, and I think if you look further abroad to Europe, it's just kind of created a more um, diverse workforce, or not diverse, but I guess disconnected. Women tend to lean more towards these part-time roles and men towards more of the full-time ones. Um, and it hasn't really supported women's growth or led to, if, you, if your desire is for them to be achieving the career ladder, um, you know, there's economic research that has been shown to say six decades worth of these pro-family policies in Europe has not actually helped women if you are measuring them by their income and their, by, by their career status. But I don't think that that should be what we're aiming to do. It should be more, how do we help families pursue what they see is the best way for them to flourish? And, and that can look different for different families. Rachel Gresler is a senior research fellow at the Heritage Foundation. You can find more at heritage.org. Rachel, there have been different proposals and different plans for how to pay for a, a program like this, government, family, medical leave. Are there any of the programs or proposals that have been out there that are appealing to you or intriguing to you? I know there's been ideas about taking future Social Security uh, from from your you know from your future uh, what you've earned towards Social Security. There's been proposals for uh, many different ways. Anything out there that at least interests you or perhaps gets you gets you involved in this sort of discussion? I think all the proposals that are talking about creating a new entitlement or expanding an existing entitlement. Um, a broken existing entitlement, by the way, if we're talking about Social Security, um, that's not the right pathway forward. If, if there was going to be any federal role here, I think that it should be entirely voluntary. Um, if you want to have a federal program, that is something that perhaps um, workers that don't have access to paid family leave at work want to buy into, kind of a private disability type mm -hmm. pool, that's one way to go forward. But there's also just little things that are simply removing current barriers that are there um, the Working Families Flexibility Act would just say, hey, if you're an hourly worker, your employer is allowed to let you accumulate paid time off when you work overtime. 
the law now says those private employers aren't allowed to do that. They must give you the pay and not the choice between pay or accumulating paid time off. Um, so there's some smaller things like that or enabling universal savings accounts that Americans could use for paid family leave or for child care or for retirement or college savings. They would just make it a little easier for workers and for families to have access to leave. Rachel Gresler from the Heritage Foundation. Again, more at heritage.org. Rachel, thanks so much for joining us today on Future of Freedom. Thanks for having me. We thank both of our guests for joining us. Aparna Mather, Senior Manager of Economics at Amazon, also Senior Fellow at Harvard's Kennedy School, and a former resident scholar at the American Enterprise Institute. Also, Rachel Gresler, Senior Research Fellow at the Heritage Foundation, more at heritage.org. For additional episodes of the Future of Freedom podcast and other fine podcasts from America's Talking Network, check out americastalking.com or anywhere you find your audio. Thank you for listening to Future of Freedom, presented by America's Talking Network.